This is Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. I'm Amy Brown. Last week, the Penobscot County Commissioners voted to support refugee resettlement in the county, despite the fact that Catholic Charities, the agency that oversees refugee resettlement in the state, says that there are no plans underway to resettle refugees there. How this came about is an interesting story of a move that seemed to backfire in the face of notoriously anti-immigrant state representative Larry Lockman of Bradley. For some background, uh, Lockman did not respond to our request for an interview, but his testimony as he promoted anti-immigration legislation in 2017 reflects how he feels about the issue. We'll get back to the Penobscot County Commissioner's decision a little bit later in the program, but first, let's hear what Lockman had to say in 2017. And we're not just talking about terrorism, but let's also be very clear about that risk. We do know that the FBI has active ISIS investigations underway in all 50 states. So we know that Islamic State terrorists are already here in Maine. Excuse me. We're not going to have reactions and stuff like that. If you can't control your behavior, we're going to ask you to leave. Uh, And that applies to everyone equally. Please continue, Representative Lockman. We do know that the FBI has active ISIS investigations underway in all 50 states, so we know that Islamic State terrorists are already here in Maine. And it's reasonable to conclude that they would most likely gravitate to communities where they know the cops are not allowed to ask them about their immigration status, even after arresting them. And if the community also offers welfare benefits to illegals, that community will surely be a magnet for the terrorists that the FBI tells us are already here in Maine. So let's talk about how we got to where we are today with regard to illegal immigration in Maine. In 2004, Governor John Baldacci issued an executive order that made the entire state of Maine a harboring haven for illegal immigrants. State employees were barred from asking anyone applying for welfare benefits about their immigration status. In effect, we told the world that although we are a poor state, we have generous welfare benefits, and we don't care if you're an illegal immigrant. Come on up to Maine and sign up. Governor Paul LePage rescinded that order on his first day in office, putting an end to Maine's open borders policy, and for that, the people of Maine owe Governor LePage a debt of gratitude. Governor LePage turned off one of the magnets that was drawing illegals to Maine, but there was no way to undo the damage of Baldacci's executive order. The doors had been wide open for the better part of a decade. Today, it is estimated there are about 5,000 illegal aliens currently living in Maine. Governor LePage's executive order on his first day in office did not undo Portland City Ordinance, forbidding police and city employees from inquiring into anyone's immigration status. That ordinance was enacted in 2003, and city leaders boasted at the time that they were following the lead of San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York City, Miami, and Denver. Portland officials admitted at the time that they had not received any complaints that police or other city workers had ever asked anyone about their immigration status. Talk about a solution in search of a problem. 
For me, it's hard to understand why politicians in Portland would want to handcuff their own police department, especially just two years after the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Portland is the only municipality in the state that I know of with a harboring haven ordinance, although it's possible that other municipalities have informal, unwritten, don't ask, don't tell policies in place. And it also makes me wonder why the city of Portland would take $1.7 million of state aid to education in the last biennial budget and divert that money to an account that gives welfare benefits to non-citizens, including illegal immigrants. Again, this is Representative Larry Lockman speaking on behalf of several anti-immigration bills back in 2017. The city of Portland denied this allegation. At the time, city spokesperson Jessica Grondon told the Bangor Daily News that Portland City Council was not using state education funds to pay for general assistance benefits for asylum seekers, rather that the council was using state education funds to offset local school spending, thereby freeing up local property tax revenue to help cover the additional general assistance requests from asylum seekers. Lockman did not respond to our request for a comment regarding his efforts last month to convince Penobscot County commissioners to issue a statement in opposition to refugee resettlement in the area, but here's more of what he's had to say in the past about immigrants. Make no mistake, these policies and practices have life and death consequences, and we're not just talking about terrorist attacks. 49-year-old Freddie Okoa of Portland was beaten to death in his Cumberland Avenue apartment on the evening of August 9, 2015. Court documents reveal that three assailants beat and kicked him for hours and bashed Okoa in the head with furniture. Okoa had 22 rib fractures from the savage attack, cuts and bruises all over his head and torso, and a lacerated liver when his assailants left him on the living room floor of his apartment. Police found a blood-splattered Bible on the floor next to his head. His body was not discovered until two days later, after his mother contacted building management to let them know that she was not able to reach her son. On August 13th, four days after the Savage murder, three Portland residents aged 23, 31, and 36 were arrested and charged with murder. With bail set at $500,000 for each man, they were jailed awaiting trial or a plea. After the initial news reports of the court appearance and the details of the crime, a media blackout began. It would be 10 months before one of the defendants pleaded guilty to manslaughter, and during that time, Maine's fake news media outlets didn't have a single report about the background of these killers. To this day, nearly two years later, we have learned nothing about the killers except their names, how old they are, and the fact that they each had multiple prior criminal convictions. Now think about that for a minute. We all know how the media generally handles cases like these. Reporters contact family members of the defendants. They talk to neighbors, co-workers, classmates, or whoever else they can find to shed some light on just who the accused killers are. You know, who is this guy and what makes him tick? Those kinds of questions. None of this happened in the case of Freddie Okoa's murders. Frankly, I'm stunned at the utter lack of journalistic and professional curiosity that's been on display here. I am not a trained journalist, but as a husband, father, grandfather, and a legislator, I am interested in learning more about Freddie Okoa's killers. I haven't been able to find out a lot, but it's more than the media has reported. 
Would anyone be shocked to learn that none of the killers is a U.S. citizen? I still don't know exactly what their immigration status is, other than they aren't citizens. And neither does the assistant attorney general who prosecuted the case. Imagine that to this day the prosecutor doesn't know their, their legal status. He doesn't know if they're refugees or asylees or dreamers or here on student visas. And he doesn't seem to be in any hurry to find out. Here's another fact I discovered without too much digging. The 31-year-old killer has 33 prior criminal convictions. In fact, the killers had 68 arrests between them prior to the murder of Freddie Okoa. I have the 82 pages of criminal history in this file folder on the defendants, if anyone's interested in taking a look at it. Here's the bottom line for me. These guys should have been deported long before they had a chance to beat Freddie Okoa to death. If you're not a U.S. citizen, you're here as our guest, and you better be on your best behavior. One strike, you're out. These guys should have been deported after their first brush with the law. And if the city of Portland had been sharing information with federal immigration authorities, there's a good chance these guys would have been deported or in federal detention, and Freddie Okoa would be alive today. The Okoa murder case is not an isolated incident. Just last month, the man charged with murder in the 2015 death of a teen in Portland in a Portland recording studio pleaded guilty to the murder charge. A judge sentenced Gang Deng Majak to 30 years in prison for the death of a Scarborough teen named Trey Arsenal. Majak, who also goes by the nickname Bang Bang, shot Arsenal multiple times in a crowded recording studio in Portland's Old Port. Investigators say Arsenal was an innocent victim just listening to a friend sing when he got caught in the middle of the shooting. Majak is not a U.S. citizen. He came to the U.S. from the Sudan in 2002. The victim's mother, Nancy Laxon, said she believes Majak should have been deported after committing other crimes. I'm a nurse, I help everybody, and I think when you do something wrong, you don't have the right to be here, she said. It's not fair. If that had happened to him a long time ago, Trey would still be here. But we can't take back time, so hopefully we can make laws that will help other people. Majak is also facing charges in separate cases, including aggravated assault and drug trafficking. Once again, this is a case of a career criminal non-citizen with a long criminal rap sheet but because the politicians in Portland handcuffed and muzzled their own police department, federal immigration authorities were never notified. Trey Arsenault would likely be alive today were it not for Portland's Harboring Haven Ordinance. The Nonpartisan Marshall Project, a nonprofit media organization focusing on crime, reported in 2018, quote, in a large-scale collaboration by four universities led by Robert Edelman, a sociologist at the State University of New York at Buffalo, researchers compared immigration rates with crime rates for 200 metropolitan areas over the last several decades. The selected areas included huge urban hubs 
like New York, and smaller manufacturing centers less than 100 that size, like Muncie, Indiana, and they were dispersed geographically across the country. According to data from the study, a large majority of the areas have many more immigrants today than they did in 1980 and fewer violent crimes. The Marshall Project extended the study's data up to 2016, showing that crime fell more often than it rose, even as immigrant populations grew almost across the board. In 136 metro areas, almost 70% of those studied, the immigrant populations increased between 1980 and 2016, while crime stayed stable or fell. The number of areas where crime and immigration both increased was much lower, 54 areas, slightly more than a quarter of the total. The 10 places with the largest increases in immigrants all had lower levels of crime in 2016 than in 1980, end quote. I'll include a link to that report in the archives of today's program. Back to State Representative Larry Lockman again, testifying in support of anti-immigrant legislation back in 2017. LD 366 would require all municipalities in Maine to comply with federal immigration law, and it would prohibit policies that forbid police officers from initiating an inquiry into anyone's immigration status. Towns and cities that continue to defy federal immigration law by harboring illegal immigrants would lose all state funding, including state aid to education and revenue sharing. Citizens who are harmed by the criminal activity of illegal aliens would have legal recourse to sue the politicians who enable such policies. These are common sense measures, and I'm frankly surprised at the controversy that's been generated. Be prepared to hear opponents of this legislation play the race card today. You're listening to Maine Currents on WERU-FM. I'm Amy Brown. That was State Representative Larry Lockman urging support for anti-immigrant legislation back in 2017. The following year, Crash Berry infiltrated what he describes as a white nationalist group called Maine First, which is run by Lockman. We spoke with him earlier today by phone. Talking to Crash Berry of the Mainer and previously the Bollard, also host of the Devils and Dirtbags podcast that's had me riveted for the last few months. In 2018, he went undercover and infiltrated Larry Lockman's Maine First Media Project. Tell me a little bit about how you did that to start with. Well, I set up a, a sock puppet account on Facebook uh, a while back that was kind of a MAGA loving white male in his early 50s, and uh, just had that kind of sitting around uh, waiting to be used. And the main first media project, which Larry Lockman funded uh, through uh, his main first project, uh, which is a, a nonprofit and also the PAC, I believe he funneled some money to, to a guy in Nebraska, uh, Mike LaFave, and just wrote this terrible, terrible racist, xenophobic, Islamophobic stuff. And, but they were so desperate for content producers, they put out a contest call saying, hey, if you want to work for Main First Media, uh, why don't you put together a little video or something? And uh, so I did, and uh, I, I have a lot of experience in video and, and storytelling, so I did a very um, convincing video starring Gary Johnson, who was like a firewood cut in Mainer uh, with some political opinions, and they fell for it. Instantly, they sucked me in, and they're like, oh, we want to do a documentary about the Somali invasion of Lewiston. Um, it's a Sharia law takeover. 
all this other stuff, and they gave me like specific assignments of things to go film, which I did, of course, right? But for just to see what would happen, and you know, I love I live outside Lewiston. That's a big city for me. I love Lewiston. We go there all the time. Love Lewiston. Love, 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 love Lewiston. And of course, what they were saying was all hogwash. So I, uh, but as part of this alleged documentary, I um, said, you know, who I really need to talk to is Larry. So. They set me up with Larry, and I went up to his hometown, and uh, well, his fake hometown in Washington County. We met at a diner, and we hung out for like three or four hours, and uh, I just interviewed him on camera and as this character. So I got a lot of background. Kind of, he thought he was speaking to a friend, uh, kind of perspective, as opposed to if it was actually me going up there. What did he actually have to say in terms of immigrants? Did he? It, you call them an, a uh, white nationalist group. They don't actually use that term themselves, do they? Well, uh, Lefebvre, the guy who never would identify himself, uh, by the way, it, you know, it was totally top secret. In, in fact, I would say, well, you know, when I, we have these phone calls, it would come from a private number. I mean, these guys are really attempting to be stealth about it. But when you try to do stealthy things like that, that just kind of raises my ire a little bit more. So. Uh, I was totally able to, you know, Sherlock Holmes it and find him and even find, you know, where he lived in Kansas by the uh, airport. And uh, this guy was saying to me uh, from the get-go that he was a white nationalist. I'm white and I'm a nationalist. Larry doesn't use that. Larry says, in fact, Larry would tell me, uh, you know, this has nothing to, this is exact quote here, this has nothing to do with race. Islam is not a race, for one thing. It's about Sharia law, a primitive totalitarian ideology that has no place in our society, and people who subscribe to it shouldn't be welcome here, end quote. Okay? Well, Larry is like a hardcore Christian with his own version of Sharia law that I don't feel has any place in our society, but, you know, unfortunately we have to welcome Well, to expand on that, I've quoted Larry Lachman in the past, quoting... Uh, others who've quoted him from an original publication, I think goes back to the 90s, in which when he was working at an anti-choice organization, he had said that uh, if abortion is legal, rape should be too, because yes. paraphrasing basically, uh, at least in rape, a person, does, no one ends up usually getting killed. He also has worked for uh, anti-gay rights groups, uh, has been uh, back in the time when AIDS was very prevalent, talked about it being spread by mosquitoes and uh, things like that throughout the years. So he's been pretty hardcore conservative with a lot of his social views. That's what you're talking about. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, I I suck in everything you say there because I'm familiar with all that, the the stuff you said in the past. But, you know, sitting there across the table from him with the tape recorder rolling and he thinks he's talking to a friend and he he would say things like, uh, here's another quote. Uh, he want, he wants to do a litmus test for immigration. These guys always like to say they're anti-illegal immigration, but they're totally anti-immigration unless it's like South African farmers fleeing. <laughs> you know, uh, so, but this is what he said. He wanted the litmus test. If you subscribe to Sharia law, the wrong answer to that, boom, who's next? He doesn't want anybody who subscribes to Sharia law in the United States. So... Uh, and he also claimed that their whole point of coming here is to outbreed, this is another quote, outbreed the infidels. It's called civilizational jihad. So he's, that's what the whole takeover of Lewiston, he's like one or two generations, and uh, boom, 
literally, quote, he said, boom, we need extreme vetting, end quote. So, yeah, he's, I mean, he's, he's not a good guy. I, you know, hanging out with him, I can tell you he's not a good guy. He's also, you know, very fake. You know, he swears a lot, very vulgar man, uh, but, you know, would never, you would never know that from his, you know, TV appearance. Uh, he recently, he's a carpetbagger, too. You know, he just moved from his district in Washington County to the next district over because he uh, was term limited out. This was his last term as a rep, so he's challenging uh, the incumbent there, uh, Rosen. Rosen. Yeah, well, he told you that in 2018 that he was going to do that. Yeah. So uh, what did they do once they realized that you had infiltrated them? How have Oh, well, they went dark. Yeah, no contact. Oh, well, actually, one of the lower, I don't really want to go into this too much, but one of their low-ranking cult members, the one day I wasn't home, comes here and tried to intimidate my wife, crossed our gated property with a, uh, carrying a camera and a gun, and uh, tried to intimidate my wife because he thought I was going to write about him because I've spent some time with him, too, but I didn't write about him. But he's he was Larry's henchman that they sent. But other than that, Total silence. Well, thanks for talking with us today. Well, thanks for having me. Keep up the good work at ERU. Thank you. You too. You can find Crashberry's work at MainerNews.com and also on his podcast, Devils and Dirtbags. You're listening to Maine Currents on WERU-FM. In 2019, Trump signed an executive order that would have allowed local and state officials to deny refugees from resettling within their boundaries. Last month, a federal judge blocked the order. In the meantime, on January 14th, Representative Lockman attended a Penobscot County Commissioner's meeting where he urged them to prohibit refugee resettlement in the area, despite the fact that none was planned. The commissioners took no action at that time, a move they believed did not show support for Lockman's proposal, but several area residents felt that that did not go far enough, and they showed up at the next meeting, which took place last week, to weigh in. Here's what they had to say. My name is Sarah Novak, and I am a resident in Hamden, which is part of Penobscot County. Yep. Hi. Um, I know that I am on native land. I'm not on white land. I'm on native land. I know that I am the granddaughter and the great niece of women who were in camps who came here. I know that I have three children who are immigrants. And I know that living in Maine, we need youth. We have a shortage of workers. And I also know that while I was in the convent, I worked with individuals from El Salvador who were seeking refuge in the United States that came under such horrible travesties that a helping hand was all they asked for. I know that we live in a county that is a good county, and we live in a state that is a good state, and we take care of each other. And I don't want to live in a county or a state that doesn't see people for who we all are, because we are all a part of the U.S. We are all, no matter where we're from, we are considered a melting pot. Our people came here to settle here, and I believe everyone has the right to be here. And anyone seeking help from us when we can give it, we as Mainers of all people know that's what we do. And I'm asking you to remember that when you think about what your decision is, because we're Mainers and we are on native land, not a white man's land. And I thank you for your time. All right, thank you. Good morning. Could you state your name and where you're from? 
Yes, my, my name is Dennis Chinoy, and I live in Bangor. Um, um, through my association with an organization that sisters Bangor with the Salvadoran rural community of largely subsistence farmers, I have come to personally know people and listen to stories from many more who for various kinds of desperation have left the families and communities they love to endure the harrowing journey to seek refuge in the U.S. As you likely know, this is a trip that can entail grueling conditions, abuse by gangs, kidnappings, and rape at the hands of human traffickers and life-threatening walks through deserts. Not everybody survives. Simply to arrive in this country by this route requires more endurance, resourcefulness, courage, and determination than I believe I personally possess. My understanding is that President Trump has issued an executive order blocked in federal district court but now appealed that permits but does not compel state and local governments to turn away refugees from settling within their borders, and that in its appeal, the White House declared that it would pursue all options to, quote, protect our communities, unquote. I understand this to be in keeping with the President's continuing campaign to have us view refugees as an invasion, some kind of existential threat to the well-being of non-immigrants, as though all the rest of us were Native Americans, rather than immigrant descendants ourselves. And I understand why Representative Lockman would prevail on you to defend Maine against the scourge of immigrants. That's what he does. What I don't understand, based on Maine Public's reporting of last week's meeting here, is why you, my Penobscot County Commissioners, haven't taken this opportunity to say proudly and without equivocation that our nation and state and county is made more strong and diverse and enriched by our embrace of people in dire need who come to our shores. Rather than to suggest that should a higher court permit state and local officials to ban refugees from our communities, that course is something any of you for a moment would want to consider. I know I wouldn't be standing here or sitting here speaking to you today and perhaps some of you wouldn't be here listening to me had that ban been in effect when my grandparents emigrated here. I think, I think you still have the opportunity to make a proactive and positive statement to affirm that we are a county that welcomes the stranger and that we will be better and stronger communities for doing so, and I urge you to take that opportunity. Thank you. All right. I would, before uh, we go to the next speaker, I would like to respond to that because we made very strong statements. Uh, not in agreement with Mr. Lockman, and anyone who was here would recognize the statements. We also received the recommendation from Catholic Charities of Maine, who are the exclusive agent for the, re the re saying that they recommended that there not be a vote because at this point it's illegal what the executive order is requesting, and there's an injunction. But I thought we made it uh, clear that we, we felt we should be welcoming. And, and again, I think based on additional information, we'll have that discussion today and, and consider a vote uh, to show where the county is. But I, I just think there's been Great. some misinterpretation 
of uh, where we were on that. I thought it was really clear that uh, the comments that were made were that uh, we feel it should be a welcoming county. And uh, but anyway, so well, that's great. So, uh, yeah, I was not here last week, and I was yeah. just reading uh, this yeah. based on what I was reading. So thank you for that. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad and, to hear and, that. And to yeah. My name is Julie Grab, and I am a retired teacher of the Bangor School Department. I, I have taught school altogether about 40 years, and of those 40 years, about nine, 10 years have been teaching English as a second language. The rest of the year is regular. However, um, I was hired by the Bangor School Department to teach uh, class classes, in fact, plural, of English as a second language to immigrant families that have been settled in the area. That, include, that included people from Poland, Vietnam, and um, I think it was Venezuela. And um, I can honestly say that um, they showed with their work and determination that they were seeking the American dream. I, I sat with them even after school. They would come in. If they didn't understand the lessons, they would come. And the fi uh, five years before Bangor, I taught English as a second language in the Los Angeles um, School Department. So I knew what immigrants face, uh, all the challenges, all the things they must do. And I was never disappointed um, because they, they showed the determination and the desire to, to reach that American dream, to be a democratic citizen of America. And I think that anyone who complains about the, the burden that they put on society is wrong. I want to say that um, leadership in our community means taking responsibility. And I don't want to feel like the rest of the state or our other part of the region or even our president feels that we are passing the buck. What I understood is that you were going to wait for the court's decisions or whatever it is. I think a general st strong statement must be made to support those people who are here because they are um, fleeing armed conflict, natural disasters, life-threatening poverty, um, and hopeless conditions. And uh, we, we must show leadership in saying, come, we welcome you to our community, because I can say that would not be any kind of a mistake. Those people have, have so much to give us so much in our in our backgrounds. I can honestly say uh, uh, two of the students I remember offhand that I taught for years, went to the University of Maine, and when they came back maybe five years later, one was a physician's assistant and one was an engineer, and they were settling in Maine because they had received so much from Maine, and we needed them. We need more, in fact. So I, I really say that um, we can't pass the buck. We have to show our leadership and our desire to have welcoming people who, to our community uh, who are so willing to work so hard to add to what we are and to reach that American dream. So I encourage a, some kind of a statement to be made thoroughly, loudly, to say, yes, we welcome them, and we hope the court votes in such a way that there will be no further problems. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Donna Gilbert, and uh, I live in Winterport, which is not Penobscot County, but I have worked in, in uh, Bangor for quite a while. I have uh, had in the past year the opportunity to get to know some of the families that have come to the Bangor area, and I have learned that I want these people in my community. Their values of family 
faith, community, and hard work. That is who they are. They're not here for a handout. They want to work. They want to raise their families. They want to go to church. This is who they are. And so I'm, I just, that's all I have to say. These are people that I want in this community, and I firmly believe this is what the community, they want people like this in the community. Thank you. Thank you. My name is Pamela Prue-Curry. I'm a resident of Old Town. I'm on the board of the Maine Multicultural Center. Uh, we um, formed the Maine Multicultural Center a couple years ago. Um, in response to um, uh, what we saw as a, a need uh, for workers in the community, that the shrinking workforce was a threat to our um, uh, our economic well-being and um, uh, limited um, economic development in the area. And so um, I'll be brief, just encouraging you to um, to make a public statement that we are a welcoming community. I think that uh, it would be very important in presenting us as a place where uh, immigrants would choose uh, to relocate, um, and, which would be a in the long run, um, uh, good for us and good for the community for many reasons. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Marwa Hassanen. I spoke last week about my own family story, and um, and I I think I was misquoted somehow um, as being the Catholic Charity spokesperson. I'm not, but I. Um, the, I'm friends with the director, Hannah, and I think she has emailed you, but she asked me to read this as well, the email, because um, there's a lot of, I think, misinformation and lack of knowledge in the public as well about the resettlement um, agency and what it what it stands for. So I'll go ahead and read it. It says, Dear Penobscot County Commissioners, Catholic Charities Maine is Maine's only refugee resettlement agency. We believe that individuals fleeing violence and persecution have the right to safety, security, and welcome in their new communities. It is our role to support folks in their resettlement and integration in Maine. In late September, Executive Order 1388 was issued asking refugee resettlement agencies to gain state and county level consent for refu refugee resettlement. Since that time, Catholic Charities of Maine has been meeting with officials across the state, educating officials about the resettlement program and asking for consent for resettlement. We obtained consent from the state of Maine, Cumberland County, and the city of Portland by the end of December 2019. On January 15th, an injun injunction was put on EO 1388 that halted the implementation of the order. Refugees resettled through our agency have been processed through the State Department and the UNHCR overseas and come to Maine because of family or community ties. In the last five years, we have resettled refugees in Cumberland, Kennebec, and Androscoggin and, and and, and and counties. Thank you. Currently, Catholic Charities RIS has no plans to resettle refugees in Penobscot County. We do, however, hear from many community members in Penobscot County about why it could make a great home for refugees in the future and encourage the Commission to consider a proactive statement of support for refugee resettlement. Catholic Charities supports the refugee resettlement program in Maine and advocates for refugees to be welcomed into communities where they can reunify with family, have access to language and education resources, afford housing, and seek meaningful work opportunities. 
communities. Any county that would like to submit a letter stating their support for Maine's refugees would be welcomed and applauded by our agency and community. Sincerely, Hannah DeAngelis. Thank you. Good morning, commissioners. I'm back again. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> last time I came, I didn't quite share my story, but I feel it's really important to do that right now. So um, myself and my husband, we came here on a work visa, not as refugees, but I believe we all have the same spirit. So currently, um, he worked for Right Aid. Over time, when we came, I couldn't work. I had only the visa to live here, but not work. So from 2007, I couldn't work till 2013 when we got our green card. Then he started to work on starting his own business. Like I said previously, currently he owns two pharmacies, down one in Eastport, one in Machias. That being said, we have three kids, nine, seven, and five years old. Myself, as a lawyer, I am still not licensed in Maine, but I'm licensed in New York. With all the struggles I have faced, at some point I felt the need, okay, if I can't do what I want, I could do what I could with what I have, which led me to starting my own law practice, an international market and the hair braiding and craft business, while raising three kids, most times by myself. That is the spirit, no matter how many times we get knocked down or we have the doors shut in our faces, we have that zeal to keep pushing. Is that the spirit we want to lock out of our community? especially right now. I ran for Bengal City Council, and I contested for, I fought for four seats with 11 other people. And um, I got the highest, second highest vote after the incumbent. I think that is a very loud message by our community that we want to show and send a message of welcoming that our community is open. Yes, the, the executive order say, wants to give the um, def different communities the opportunity to opt out. But I think we don't need to, we don't have to wait. One is that, yes, it's not going to ban us from welcoming people. But as a community, I think we need to send a very strong message. I think we need to vote. To, we, need, we urge you to please not wait for the executive order, but to have a vote to keep our community open. Like previously said, the Catholic Charities is not planning on settling refugees anytime soon. But what will we be as a community if we do not open our arms wide enough to people who will come here to help us stabilize our economy? Look at in here. How many people are young here? That tells you how our community is. We need that. And I think this is... All right, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but... <laughs> But, but, you know, sadly, that is the truth. We need young people. We need to expand our tax base, our workforce. And what best do we need than people who are willing to give in everything to work and to make a living? Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. I'm Lucy Quinby, um, and I, uh, I'm also Jeff, Senator Gratwick's wife. Um, That's a full-time job, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. Um, and um, so I have, a, I'll be brief, I have a couple of comments. Um, I'm the mother of, a, of an immigrant. Um, our daughter is from Taiwan, 
And it was very exciting to bring her into the country and have her be able to become an American citizen. Um, I also experienced secondhand as her mother uh, some of the racism in our schools. And I think that it's extremely important that we take every opportunity as a community to declare our friendliness um, and welcoming um, across all, all the divisions of humanity. Um, so that's part one. Um, part two, um, as Jeff's wife, um, as he was preparing to move from um, his medical practice to practicing medicine on a broader scale um, as a legislator, um, he, we, he, he, he and his practice tried very hard to recruit physicians to replace him, rheumatologists to replace him. And we had a number of delightful evenings um, entertaining uh, very nice people from foreign countries who were considering coming here to practice medicine. And part of my job as a supportive spouse was to help them see that they could be comfortable um, in this community. And I think if we become a, the more we become a more multicultural community, um, the more vibrant we are, the more welcoming we are um, to people like the previous speaker who is an inspiration to us all. Um, so thank you for giving me an opportunity to speak. Good morning. Um, my name is Jerry Gross, and I'm a resident of Bangor and a retired speech pathologist. Um, I, I won't take up a lot of time. I just want to reiter reiterate what other people have said, that um, uh, newcomers to our state, to our county, make us stronger. All the data shows that economically, but from a personal level, I too have had the opportunity in the last year to help some new families who have come to our area. And we have become friends. Um, these families are committed to each other, to their community. They work very hard. Uh, they, are, they are here to contribute, and I see their contributions every time I see them. Um, so I urge you to, uh, as the others have said, and I think I'm looking at friendly faces, I believe, here. <laughs> I, I think that uh, it would be really important for us to be very public about um, Bangor and Penobscot County as a welcoming community. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Larry Danzinger from Bangor. And usually I talk about the jail, but today I'm not going to talk about the jail. I'm going to echo what some of the Thank other you. people here have said. And rather than repeating what they've said, which hopefully you've already heard and absorbed. I just want to m mention that yesterday was the 75th anniversary of um, the liberation of Auschwitz. And my father came here as an immigrant in 1921 as a teenager. And he had, he left about 30 relatives of his and of mine in Eastern Europe who were all killed during the Holocaust. If the United States had been open to taking in those refugees, 
I might still have some of those relatives here right now to be able to uh, communicate with and to live with and to enjoy those people as part of my family. So this is the downside of not being welcoming to refugees. I hope uh, commissioners will consider being that well, being one of those many welcoming messages for people so that um, in the future we don't have people who are killed and suffering and some of the people that are in the camps right now on the border, on our southern border, are suffering significantly. And uh, I hope, you know, anytime I see somebody suffering, I try to do something about that, you know, whatever I can. And I hope you will uh, be willing to do that as well. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Larry. You're listening to Maine Currents on WERU-FM. I'm Amy Brown. The people you just heard from were speaking at a meeting of the Penobscot County Commissioners in Bangor last week. They came out in response to a request by Representative Larry Lockman made at the Commission's previous meeting that they oppose refugee resettlement in the county. Lockman did not attend this meeting, nor has he responded to our request for a comment. This is all in the context of a 2019 executive order by Trump that would allow state and local officials to prohibit refugees from settling in their areas. That order has now been blocked by the courts. When Lockman appeared before the commissioners earlier in January, they did not take action on his request. The area residents that you just heard from who attended the next meeting, which was on January 28th, asked the commission to go a step further and issue a statement in support of welcoming refugees. Next, you'll hear their deliberations. Bear with us. Some of them are a little off mic. The commissioners are Peter Baldacci, Andre Cushing, and Laura Sanborn. All right. Uh, we're now uh, discussion uh, from the commission as to the thoughts as to Commissioner, if I could, before you speak, I want to be sure uh, I gave you a copy of a letter that we all came. Have a copy of the letter from uh, the Maine Business, Maine Immigration, Business Immigration, Coalition. Immigration Coalition, which is headed by Beth Stickney. Uh, she sent a letter to all of us. It's very informative. Um, so I turn it over to Commissioner Sanborn for any comments. <coughs> yes, uh, Penobscot County uh, experience with the resettlement of all of our friends and refugees, or however you got here, has been a very positive uh, experience overall. We're missing just a few words here as the microphone was being moved closer. To resettle here in Penobscot County, have integrated into our communities as uh, productive workers, business owners, educators, and as members of the medical profession. The reality is that we just do not have people lining up to get into Penobscot County. Our age and population, you know, when you look around the room, it's, uh, you know, quite obvious. Uh, you know, our communities govern them themselves, and, uh, you know, we as a commission have a huge section of, you know, Penobscot County that is unorganized and, uh, you know, really in need of uh, of folks and uh, would you know really support very would, I personally would be very supportive of um, 
bringing more people in, you know, into our area. Therefore, with the contrary to the requests before us, um, I would be supporting the resettlement of refugees to our beautiful Penobscot County. Thank you, Commissioner Sandler. Commissioner Cushing. You. you know, I've listened over the last couple of days to, uh, a couple of weeks to the comments that have been made, and I think it's unfortunate that the impetus for this was a, what I would call divisive statement by somebody running for office. Uh, I think the Bangor area has a long history of welcoming people of diverse backgrounds to come here to work, to live, go to school, and I think if you look at Hudson University, um, it was a, a hub of inviting uh, students from different cultures and countries to come here. I think the University of Maine has had a long tradition of reaching out to a diverse collection of students. And I think through the medical, healthcare, uh, and, and other industries, we have invited people to come here to study, to interact with our communities, and that is certainly welcome. Um, I think the nature of what we're dealing with, the only cause I have is what we say so that we are not creating uh, a misunderstanding that our vote obligates any municipality to take action without giving the proper consideration interest in, in this issue. Uh, we can, as Commissioner Sandler said, make statements in regard to the unorganized territory, which is under our responsibility, but each and every community has to weigh for themselves what they have for resources and what abilities they have to support the needs of those who would come here. So that would be my only reservation in how we word whatever statement we're going to make here. Thank you, Commissioner. Uh, I would uh, clarify or uh, comment on a few things. First, the three of us each have our own district, but the district includes every single town and village in Penobscot County. So uh, there's uh, representation. We represent every, every community in Penobscot County. So the executive order is vague uh, in the sense of saying that it's the uh, governor of a state and the county commissioners. Uh, I think really we don't have to limit the language. Uh, it does certainly not prevent um, other towns and cities to step up and say something, but I think it would send a strong message that we do. Uh, I would also like to, uh, just so uh, things uh, are clear, we were presented with this issue not by this group, but we are presented by Larry Lockman, state representative, who basically said, I want Penobscot County to opt out. That was the first that we were contacted. And fortunately, the news got out and people came and overwhelmingly spoke against uh, what his plan was. And I felt uh, that we, and uh, I certainly felt I had expressed uh, no support for what he was saying. But at that time, the, the injunction had just gone on fairly recent to that first and in the advice was that we the 
people believe the executive order is illegal. Uh, basically, it's uh, the administration asking, say, a state or a county can veto this. And, and the judge in that case was very clear that that is improper, that is illegal. So the initial concern was if we vote, are we saying it's legitimate that we have a veto power? So that was our concern. I just want you to understand it wasn't kicking it down the road or not, and that was the initial. Since that time, we've all heard from different people and uh, more educated about this. And I, I found very convincing a letter from Beth Stickney, who I've known, who is, is probably the leading legal expert on immigration for over 20 years running in Portland. And in a, her letter that we received really makes it clear that it's more good than bad for us to make a statement uh, saying we're welcoming. We are a welcoming county. Um, so I think that, just so you folks understand, that was what we were addressing, uh, was uh, we didn't want to legitimize the executive order by saying, okay, we don't veto it. Um, but, but I think with the more information and appreciate the, the uh, comments today, so, um, you know, we feel we're all uh, uh, descended from immigrants. My father's family came from Italy in, in before the turn of the century through Ellis Island and uh, was told if he didn't join the U.S. Army in World War I, he'd go back to Italy. So he joined the Army, became a citizen, and married my grandmother, uh, brought her over from Italy. And my mother's side is Lebanese, and uh, they came from Beirut and uh, they had their own discrimination and challenges. And um, so I think we all come from heritages that uh, respect uh, what immigrants do. So with that, uh, I would entertain a motion. Sorry. Yes, sir. May I just um, make a quick statement? Sure. sure. There's a microphone right there. It, it doesn't work. Remember oh. you have one the battery? Probably a good reason not to argue. Thank you, Commissioner. Uh, so, Commissioners, I just want to read something. Um, it was um, written, uh, wrote by one of my um, my heroes. Um, and this in regards to immigrants and refugees coming to this country. Um, Through this golden door has come millions of men and women. These families came here to work. Others came to America in often heroin conditions. They didn't ask what this country could do for them, but what they could do to make this refuge the greatest home of freedom in history. They brought with them courage and values of family, work, and freedom. Let us pledge to each other that we can make America great again. Ronald Reagan, President of the United States. Thank so you. this is not a Democratic issue, it's not a Republican issue. I think it's an American issue. We are a welcoming community. I know personally, you know, as, as you know, descendants, my grandfather was from Krakow, Poland, um, escaped persecution there. Um, I have the, you know, the documentation from Ellis Island. So I think, you know, obviously we are, we are a welcoming community. We love everybody here. Um, so I just kind of want to get my right. thoughts on Thank that. you, Treasurer Hyatt. Thank you. All right. I uh, would entertain a motion to uh, indicate uh, that we are open to refugee resettlement in Penobscot County, that we consent to any resettlement. Uh, 
that uh, and to understand refugees are vetted by the State Department of the United States. They're already legal. They can work immediately upon receiving, and they, they could start out in Lewiston and end up in Bangor. Uh, they, they're not restricted on their movements and where they work. It's a legal status. But uh, I would entertain a motion to uh, indicate our support for resettlement in our county and, uh, and uh, consent to any requirement that's required, and that we would send a letter to the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, uh, to indicate that, just as Janet Mills has done for the state of Maine. After a bit more discussion about the language, the Penobscot County Commissioners took a vote. All those in favor of the motion to uh, that we consent to the refugee resettlement program in our county and a supportive of efforts to relocate refugees in our county. So it's unanimous. All right. Thank you all very much. You've been listening to Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. I'm Amy Brown. Catch us now on our new time here on the first and also the third Tuesday of each month at four. The third Tuesday of each month, we'll be covering elections 2020 related topics and inviting you to call in and join the discussion. Radio EcoShock is up next here on Community Radio, WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, streaming online at WERU.org and on the WERU app.